And good evening, y'all. Today is uh, January 14th, 1-14-2020. And I am doing my second podcast with the man, the myth, Mr. J.R. Kuros. He's only a myth just because you can't really see him because he's small, but... <laughs> What's it? Howdy, howdy. Okay, so we were just talking about... Um... Well, first I want to mention... Go for it. So, for about a week and a half, I've been battling a... a, a... An ingrown toenail that got infected, and I want to tell you that's the real deal. If oh, yeah. you want, if you, it's it's probably it's probably harder than giving birth going <laughs> through this. All right, so those moms out there, I don't want to hear shit. Okay, have an ingrown toenail infected. That's the real deal. One little fucking ring toe, and I can barely walk. So I'm getting that treated. That's from, uh, that is the, uh, the reward he got for how many miles did you do last week? I, well, I had it before that. Oh, really? I really yeah, I really did. I, I had it before that, so I was just trying to treat it at home myself. I was, I was stabbing it with like a little needle and uh-huh. like squeezing the pus out uh-huh. and putting peroxide and stuff on it. Nothing. And, and it was just, I thought it was getting better, but it was getting worse. And then uh, the height came up, so I was like, ah, I'll go do that. And so it hurt like hell the first like mile or two. And then it just went numb after uh-huh. that. So I was like, ah, fuck, it's numb now. I can go now. But you're good now. How yeah. long are you going to be in the boot for? Uh, probably another couple of days and then I'll be, I'll be good. Good, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had to see Brandon's stupid face today. <clears throat> with his little smirk when he comes walking in with his peacock chest. Because he saw you with Looking the at me and he sees me with a boot and he's like, yeah, from the rug. I said, no, it's not from the rug, asshole. <laughs> you can't, it's, it's, it's hard to not... Try to, you know, beat you down when you come uh-huh. in. It's I just... know it is. Yeah. So we were just talking about, um, talking about, uh, we were both listening to a podcast about the, like the drug cartel in Mexico. And did you, oh, you heard about, obviously about how, um, El Chapo's son got captured mm-hmm. and then the military captured him, but then the cartel got him back. Yes. That's crazy. Like, yeah. That wouldn't happen here. No, no. And yeah, like I said, we were talking about um, it just goes to show the the, the power that uh, the cartel has yeah. in, the, in that country. And it's, uh, and like they were saying, it's like it's going to get to a point where um, America is going to have to intervene uh-huh. and label the cartel as a terrorist. Yeah, I heard about that. Before, uh, before something real is done because, like they said, they're talking about is because it's a... Uh, it's a systematic problem. Mm-hmm. So you got the state police that are controlled by one cartel. Yep. And then you got the federal government that's controlled by another cartel. So depending what city you go to, you know, who's running the, 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 uh, uh, that city or not. And so it's just who do you trust, who do you not trust, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they said a lot of people, you know, some of these new uh, politicians, they come in and they're going to clean things up. They either get murdered, murdered, yep, or you know they clean things up, but then they succumb, succumb to the uh, uh, to the uh, the temptation, mm-hmm. the bribery, mm-hmm. and a lot of times what they're doing, the, the cartels doing, they're like, so let's say you work for the federal government, okay? They've trained you, you've been working there five years, and then the cartel's gonna come to you, hey, we'll give you double what you pay, triple what you're making. Come work for us. We'll give you triple. And now you know the ins and the outs. And then yeah, so now you now they're getting fully trained uh, military servicemen, and they're getting them on their side because what they're going to offer more money, the power of the money. It's crazy. That, that's a regular thing. 
Money yeah. talks. You think you? They're not just. They're not just fucking beaners running around with AKs and the. Yeah. Uh, uh, in sixteens, you know, a lot of these people are fucking ex-military trained. Highly intelligent operations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's um. Did you mention how they're turning in? Uh, and they were mentioned on the podcast too how. They're um, basically going the Pablo Escobar route. Yeah, yeah. El Chapo and his son giving away free cars to oh, the yes. people in the villages. And yeah, they go to these poor communities. Yeah, these yeah, poor, yeah, These poor communities. And, uh, you know, they're building schools. They're building churches. Uh, they're building businesses. Yep. Um, they give out things. They give out money. They were, one, one town, they gave out cars. And so, you know, but their government doesn't give them anything. Yep. You know, they live off the, they live off scraps, you know, people running around collecting recycled goods just to try to turn it in for money. Mm-hmm. And so the government does nothing to help, but you get these cartels that come in here and they give you all this stuff that, that you need. And so then when the state police or the, or, or the federal government comes in to try to clean it up, they're not going to say anything. Yep. They're going to protect them because they're the ones that are supplying them. Yeah. You know? That's, that's the hand crazy. that's feeding them, and they're they're not gonna do anything. And you know, I I don't blame them. I mean, you know, I I I've never had to be in that situation, but you know, when when it when it's a point where you know, keep living in filth and poverty, or get enough money to to sustain yourself and your family, but you know, you got to keep quiet about other things. You know, so this being San Antonio, being what are we like? Maybe three and a half, four, maybe like four hours from the border, mm-hmm. three hours. It's still a corridor. That thirty, that Interstate thirty five. It's a corridor from, from South Laredo. What does that way. mean? I mean, it's it's a main interstate highway for transporting mm. for transporting the dope. So a lot goes through yeah, there. Yeah, that will go up. To, you know, they take ten too. So thirty five and ten. Uh huh. You know, those are main corridors from from get the dope from the border to Dallas to Austin. Yep. Uh, to Houston. So, yeah. So a, a lot of it does get past the border and. Um, Come through San Antonio. So being a, a police officer in this area, what have you seen? Have you ever had like any stops where you had, you saw a large amount of drugs or yeah? what is that like here in San Antonio? Cause I know like, uh, okay, for example, like where I'm from in California, like it's all over the place and there's like no stopping it. Um, there's been a few times. Uh, I know one time it was just. I ran into it on accident. Uh, I was following up with an accident, with, with, a, with a crash report. Mm-hmm. So it was like a hit and run. And uh, so supposedly the person who hit the other person was at this apartment complex and so with apartment number, because they had a license plate. So I ran the license plate, it came back to, the, uh, to an address close by. So I go over there and um, this girl opens the door and I ask her, hey, you know, um, there was an accident involved with your car. I see the car out in the parking lot. Um, can you tell me who was driving or what happened? And so she starts to tell me that it was her boyfriend. And but she was like super nervous in like the apartment. Like they looks like they were moving out. Mm-hmm. But she was just like, and I, you know, the thing is, you know, I, I try to be real nice with everybody. And you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving her the signals like, like I'm not being an asshole or yeah, you yeah. know interrogating her for something else. I'm just, you know, simply asking questions about the accident. But she seemed super, real, like, real, real nervous for something so minor. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll just get y'all's information and add it to the report. But she just seemed super nervous. And I says, um, well, who else was in the car with you? And she's like, oh, my boyfriend was. I says, is he here? And she's like, uh, uh. Like, she started stuttering. She's like, uh, yeah, no, no. And I'm like, 
Okay. I said, well, do you mind if I go in and look and see if he's here? <laughs> and, you know, I had no right to go in there. But okay. if she gives me consent, then I do. So uh, she let me go in. Uh, she was like, uh, said, well, it's his apartment. I'm just here. But, yeah, you can come in. So I go in. And, um, and I already, I've learned to trust my instincts. Okay. It's something I learned in, in the Marines. Like, you fucking feel like something's not going to go right. Listen to, listen to your instincts. I'm going to mention something about that gut feeling, but after you tell this. Okay. So I learned to trust my instincts. So I go in the apartment and then, like I said, it looks like they were moving out. So I asked her, she's like, yeah, we, uh, we found a new apartment. We're moving out here in a couple of days because, uh, there wasn't very little in the apartment. So I go to one of the bedrooms Well, I go to the main bedroom and I go in there and I look and I says, well, he's not here. Well, Well, I thought he was here. And I'm like, all right, well then, uh. I see uh, the closet doors closed, and I'm like, I said, I know somebody's fucking in that closet. Uh-huh. And uh, so um, I get my gun out, and I open the door real quick, and then, so, you know, I don't open the door and stand in front of it. I open the door, and I, I come off to the side because, you know, if he's, the guy's in there, if somebody's in there and they want to do harm for me, it's gonna, I'm going to have to, they're going to have to make a maneuver yeah, yeah. That I can see in advance where I can be able to react to their movement because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're standing in front of somebody, that rule is that uh, uh, action is always going to beat reaction. Okay. So, you know, I wanted an opportunity to, to be able to do something for myself. So I wanted to be able to see him move before yeah. uh, I made a movement. <clears throat> so he, co- he comes out and he's a big fucking Mexican. He's like 6'3", like 230. I'm like, son, no. <laughs> And I, and I got my gun. I says, dude, I says, you're way too big. I ain't going to fight you. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to fucking shoot you right here. I said, you'll be dead in this fucking apartment. And he was, he's actually pretty cool. He was real chill and laid back. He was like, all right, sir. You know, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't do nothing. I just, you know, the police made me nervous and that's why I'm in here. And so I get him, I get him just cuffed up because he wasn't under arrest, but I was just detaining him. So we have the authority to do that. We can detain somebody without them being under arrest. So he let me put him in handcuffs. I put him in handcuffs. And when I do, I look in the closet and uh, I see a big ass duffel bag, fucking huge. And I, and I look in there and I see uh, bricks of marijuana. So he had, a, he had 38 bricks of marijuana. Oh, how much is a brick? Uh, I think it was uh, a couple pounds. Yes, one yeah, one pound. It's one pound. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yes, yeah, it's one pound of marijuana. So and I was in holy shit. So that's what that was who he's freaking out about. He forgot mm. he had that in or supposedly he forgot yeah, he had yeah. it in there. So, um and it was just you know and so what happens the reason why I can arrest him on that because you know it's his apartment. It's his in it's it's uh it's in his immediate area, his possession, uh that's his apartment too, so I can put the dope on it. And he took he took the hit. And that was his second case. He was already on probation for the same thing, for for that amount of marijuana. Yeah, but what what happens if I, isn't there a rule to say that if you go into a house and you find something but you're not looking for that, the person can't get in trouble for it? No, no, that's uh, uh, <clears throat> no. There's no. There's nothing because so you know we went. We never went to court. He pleaded out. The thing. Oh, they, the, he the, didn't fight it. No, the thing. Mm. The thing they. Uh, but see he. He was connected to somebody bigger because, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I said, he, he had the he had a previous charge that he was already out on bond for for the mm. same amount. Mm. It was a felony amount of marijuana, so it's a lot of fucking marijuana he had. Mm. 
Did so, like, so what, what happens is that uh, uh, what they try to fight is the initial contact. Uh-huh. So if you get that initial contact that you have with an officer, if you, if you find some flaw in that, where they did something wrong, then everything that happens afterward gets dismissed. Mm. So the initial contact was, I was asking her if I can come in the house. She gave me a verbal consent I could come in. Mm, okay. So everything after that is open to play. She says, yeah, go ahead and come uh. in. So, and the reason, so it's, say if the bat duffel bag was in the closet and it was closed, and I go to the bag and I fucking open it and look in. Ah, uh, I see. That would get thrown out. I see. But because it was in plain view. Yes. The bag was open. Yes. And due to my training and knowledge, I was able to recognize that that's consistent how marijuana is packaged. Yeah, yeah. I'm able to do it that way. Just because it was in plain view. Okay, I got two questions for you. One, um, let's say somebody has, you go to the house, right? And you had asked her, hey, can I come in? And she says, no, you need a warrant, right? And then you say, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back with a warrant. Let's just say. I've always wondered if there was somebody hiding in the house or they had drugs in the house. Do you guys wait there till the, somebody gets a warrant? Or do you guys leave and then they can just take the drugs out and leave? And then you come back and then everybody, like the drugs are gone, the person's gone. So the, the drug warrant's a little bit different. For, for people, if it's a people, if, it, if, it's a, it's, if it's a warrant involving like, you know, violence... Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be, you know, an aggravated robbery, a murder, or family violence, you know, a guy beat the hell out of his, his, his chick, or vice versa, then um, we're going to wait there, yes, because uh. we can get a warrant immediately. We, we call detectives, we tell them what we got, uh, we tell them our statement over the phone, they'll go back in the office, boop, 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 they'll type up that warrant, they'll take it to a judge, there's always a magistrate uh, judge working available. They'll yeah. take it over there. They'll get the judge to sign it. He'll call you. Hey, the warrant's good. And then, uh. then, then we'll go in and knock the door down and get in. Uh-huh. But as far as for the drugs and stuff, the way the drugs work is that um, it's no secret, so I can say it on the on on the podcast. But the way it works is that they get CI, they get informants. Yeah, they get under uh, informants, people that they turn to work for them. Oh, okay. And so what they do is like they'll get reports. Hey. Uh, Little Smokey sailing out of this house. He's selling uh, black tar, black tar heroin. It's like a sticky little heroin in little baggies. It's fucking black. It's disgusting. But hey, he's smoking black tar heroin. I mean, he's selling it. So they'll get their uh, uh, the the informants. So we're like, okay, I need you to go to this house and make a buy. Uh, tell me if you see, where you see them get it from. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can see how much they have, you know, just work it. So the CI will go in there. Okay, yeah, I just made the buy. It's X amount of dollars. I mean, he had X amount of heroin with him. He keeps it here, whatever. So they're like, okay, so that's good enough because it's still a fresh, it's, it, it's a fresh buy. So the same thing too. They'll start typing up that warrant real quick. Get everything together. Take it to the judge. Judge will see everything, all, all, the, all the circumstances of the case. Approve the warrant or not. And then they go and knock it down. Mm. Sometimes it's either, it, 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 but it's it's built over a period of time. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's built over a period of time. It's just not like immediate. So they're watching the house for some time. They're watching, trying to f- figure out their routine patterns. Mm-hmm. There's certain customers that buy. Certain people who come up and pick up. They'll come and they'll come to the house and pick up x amount of dope. You know, every mm-hmm. Wednesday or every every three days. Yeah. So they look at all that, and once they got all that together, then they put it all together and. Once they got some confirmed buys, then they'll they'll put the warrant together. So my 
My second question to you is going to be, how long have you been uh, in the force for? About 13 years. And I'm a, I'm a patrolman, so like you call 911, we're the ones that show up. So you've been in 13 years? Yeah. When would you say you developed... So like you were talking about your gut feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and understanding that. When did you develop that, that, that sixth sense? So I'm assuming the first couple of years you were kind of learning the ropes. Yeah. When would you say you kind of developed that, that the, intuition of like what to look for? and? Okay, yeah. Well, the, <clears throat> as far as following my gut, I, felt, I learned that. I felt that uh, when I was in the Marines and uh, we got into combat. Like, yeah. like we, it'd be funny. We'd, we'd be at the barriers loaded up, getting loaded up, you know, loading up our weapons. And uh, it's just, you know, even before we step out, be like, all right, you guys, you're going to be ready. Uh-huh. Something's gonna go down today, and sure enough, so yeah. so I started to feel it then. So and I just listen, I just, I just, uh, 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 just listen to it. Okay. And so then, but as far as the police, you know, um, when I started to feel like you know, uh, 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 I guess being able to try to read people better. Yeah, or, yeah. Maybe like a, a few years in. Yeah, I, 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 uh, maybe about, uh, maybe anywhere between three to five years. You start to learn because you know when I was fresh and you, I mean, it was like, you know, you just um, you're just full of adrenaline. You wanna you wanna you wanna mm. get involved in everything. You wanna chase everything. You wanna you know vehicle chases, car chase. I yeah, mean, uh, yeah, yeah. foot chases. You wanna get in fights and you know, you 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 fail to sit back and just hey, let's let's take it all in. Let's run from this and you just go 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 go. So mm. it took a few years to uh, uh, to adjust and start to realize, see everything play out. And then, you know, you start to read people's, because, uh, you know, you start to read people's body language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because through time, you, you keep, you keep, you know, we come in contact with people every day, every day. And so you start to read body languages, different people, different ethnicities, mm-hmm. uh, different age groups, you know, and you just start to pick up on the cues every, yeah, so, and. Through time, it's just you just develop that natural instinct to 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 be able to read people pretty good. You know, it's crazy. So, like, I know whenever these cop videos come out of you know cops overreacting or cops firing when they shouldn't have or cops using excessive force. What is fascinating to me is the amount of opinions that come from people who probably have never seen combat, never been attacked, never been in a in a situation where their adrenaline literally. Ju- it gets dumped through their body. Like, so like when I was back in California, my, uh, so my mom lives in a city called Anaheim and not too far from where I live there. I was at a seven 11, like real late at night. I think I told you. And I watched what looked like uh, a girl who I could be completely wrong, but I, I heard a lot about like, um, girls getting kidnapped into sex rings mm-hmm. a lot in like those cities and suburbs and I was watching basically a guy beg a girl for food, and then when he got when she got him him food and she was getting into her car, he like went to grab her, but was like hugging her he he claimed he was hugging her, and then somebody screamed at them, and I watched it play out, and I saw the guy who screamed at him pepper sprayed him, then the cops came, and he was coming out of the one of the bathrooms at the gas station after being pepper sprayed, he had like cleaned his face off, and I had watched it, and I had called nine one one and like that got my adrenaline racing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this last time I went, I saw the, I told you I saw the 
the house three doors down from my mom's get broken into. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I watched the guy leave the backyard after breaking that back window. Mm-hmm. And I started to chase him. And, like, my adrenaline was pumping like mm-hmm. crazy. And, like, it's hard to talk straight. I didn't catch the guy. He got in his car and left. Yeah. But, like, I chased him and it's like, for that, for my adrenaline to just pump from that, where I wasn't in literally life or death danger. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine, what is that like, that adrenaline rush? And have you learned to control it and be way more relaxed in those types of situations? Because for me, and for the average person, something like that, like watching a burglary, it's probably like you, you've seen it before, Mm -hmm. but it's like, for me, I was like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I saw, I wrote up on one where the, uh, (laughs) the dudes were, it was two dudes, one had a, they were coming out the front door. One had a big ass fucking flat screen TV. And you were there. Yeah, because <laughs> I was right around the corner when they called it in. The neighbor called it in. Hey, somebody broke into my neighbor's house. They just kicked in the front door. And I was literally like two blocks away. Uh-huh. So I get there and I park. You know, I park like three, four houses away and I mm. walk in. So I park and I see the door ajar open. And so these two dudes, one dude comes out with a big flat screen, right? I mean, fucking huge. <laughs> At least 60 inches. And the other dude behind him, so he didn't see me because he's got the TV, the TVs in front of him. Cause their house, <laughs> that yeah, I know, the house, the house uh, uh, bordered an alley. Okay. So they were gonna, they were getting out of the house and they were gonna go down the alley. Uh huh. So the dude comes out, he doesn't see me. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get this motherfucker. Uh huh. And so his dude comes, his partner comes in behind him. Well, he, the partner's got. The, the, you know, like the duffel bags and the backpacks. Uh-huh. It, it had a, I could tell it had an Xbox in it and shit uh-huh. like that. And laptop, you know, had all the, the small electronics. Well, his partner sees me. Mm-hmm. And he had fucking caps. The, the dude with the TV. Bro, it was funny but fucked up at the same time. He could, he could slung that goddamn TV like it was, <laughs> like it was just like, like he was throwing out a bag of trash. Uh huh. He fucking just chunks it and throws it in the in, in the in the driveway. The guy throws the bags and they take off running down the alley. Uh huh. We start chasing, so we end up catching them both. Whoa! Uh, but uh, that's what it's just, it's just it's wild like that. That's how that. But um, that's funny. But but so the the way the drilling thing works, it's like uh, if you don't um. You have to train yeah. yourself in order to to be, uh, um, I guess, to... Um, what is it? Stay calm? To operate accordingly. Okay. You have to train. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, a lot of officers, I would say, I would even go to the extent like more than half of the officers in this country, a lot of the training is based on the individual. Mm. The department doesn't mandate. We, we have... We have our department has every year we have to go uh, to in service. It's just training for a year for one week, but they had to throw in. They have to throw in legislative updates. We got to throw in, uh, uh, you know, city requirements. You know, we drive a city vehicle. We got to do defensive driving. We got to take these hours and classes of driving because we drive a city vehicle. Um, uh, we have to go over uh, 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 new laws that are coming up. Um, uh, we go over shoot sh- the, the main things that are necessary to, to you know to I think that are most important for an officer. Do we barely spend any time on it? Mm. The shooting we'll spend maybe a half a day. Tactics half a day. If half a day for how much? Like 
for a whole year. Oh my so god. So that's all that is mandated? That, yes. So it'd be only half a day. So a lot of officers, they don't train with their weapons. Yeah. So the only training they do is going to be the fucking four-hour block. Yeah. That's mandatory to do once a year. Wow. And then the rest of the year, they ain't doing shit. Yeah. So you add that up, you know, you got a 15-year officer, and he's only had what? 15 sessions of four he, hours? Yeah. he's on, Yeah. 15 sessions of four hours behind the gun. Wow. And, I'm to, you know, I would go out on a limb and say, probably that, that's probably more than 50% of the officers around this country. Whoa. And that's what sucks is like a lot of the training is, is uh, you know, it's, it's self-initiated. It's on the person, the individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh, um, uh, it's just, you know, it, it, fall, it starts to fall into like money, you know. Okay. The cities, are, the cities can't afford um for for us to do even more, you know, elaborate training, more detailed training. Uh, at least that's what they always tell us. It's always a money issue. So what happens? So if if, if they don't, if, if you're not training yourself to have that, uh, to work yourself through that. And it sounds dumb. Like that's what I would do. When I, when I go and shoot at the academy, at the academy, I'll go and run. So we have the base, the big concrete base. I'll run back and forth. I'll do push-ups. I try to get my heart rate elevated. Mm. And it sounds dumb. Like I'll sit there and like, I'll act like I'm in a scenario mm-hmm. and I'll talk to myself mm. or act like I'm talking to a partner mm. and I'm trying to calm myself down. And then I'll be like, I think I see a gun. I think gun, gun. And I'll react and, and, and try to put rounds on target. And so, as you know, I try to make it as realistic as possible. Yeah. And it's like I said, so that's the only <clears throat> thing that's going to get you uh, accustomed to being able to, you, you, you have to slow it down because what happens, you get that big adrenaline dump. You know, and you see, and you see one thing like they say you saw the dude running out the the, the backyard. Yeah. Like you start to get a tunnel vision. Uh huh. Where you only see, let's say you 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 only see the the dude and he's got you know, but you don't see that he's got a gun uh, in his waistband or in his pocket. Yeah. Or you don't see that he's coming to reach for somebody. You just see in general like somebody running. Yeah. And so you know you have. You, you, Sometimes that will come, like if you're an officer that's uh, that that comes into contact with a lot of people and you 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 get into a lot of shit. We call them a shit magnet. You get into a lot of stuff, then you know, through time, you know, it's like on the job training. Yeah, you'll get mm-hmm. you'll get start to get used to it. But uh, if you're not one that comes across it a lot, then yeah, you're gonna lose your freaking mind when you get on the radio. How many time? How often do you train? Uh, I try to go at least once a month to the academy, at least once a month. And you've had an ex-military, obviously, yeah. being a Marine. And I think that's what makes, uh, that's why I understand how important training is because yeah. we did it all the time in the Marines. Yeah. We would run drills, fire team drills. We were in a fucking big ass field. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the little, uh, the ditty, the thing to say is, you know, when we're advancing on a, on, 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 on a, on an object, you know, we're going as a fire team, teams of fours. And we get up and run, and you're supposed to say, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. As you're mm-hmm. running, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down, then you got to get down. And then the other team goes, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down, then they get down. You just don't sit there and run for, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. for 200, 300, years because you're going <clears> to <throat> mm-hmm. get shot. So up, down, up, down, just bounding. Yeah. So uh, we do stuff like that, and it's just, I realized that how, because when we got into combat, like, it's crazy how it just clicked. Uh-huh. We just reacted. It became second nature. Yes. Wow. And so I know that like, I, I know it's repetitive and it's, 
it's 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 monotonous. It's like you don't you don't like it, but it is absolutely necessary and vital. Yeah. For you to be any effect to be effective when you're out there on a call. Consistently training. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of officers I work with like I'm not making a call with that dude because you know oh, he's yeah. not well I prepared. Said that, yeah. Whoa. That dude's gonna get me killed. He's not. I can't trust him. He's lazy. You know. Yeah. He's a coward. Wow. We got we got him on a department all over the place. So let me ask. You have, I'm assuming you have a lot, based on where you work, what percentage of those guys who are in the force with you are ex-military? If you were to just throw out a guess. Mm, maybe around the 30%, 20, 20 to 30%. <laughs> and would you say that those 20 to 30%, as far as you've seen, those officers are way better officers just because they have seen military experience they have military experience yeah usually the uh uh um they, like they, you can tell the difference yes absolutely you can tell the difference between them or, or especially even as a uh, um when you get the new officers that come out that break out mm. the probationary officers you can tell big time from there you can tell the difference between an officer that's just graduated and they have their college degree in criminal justice and they just graduated the the police department the academy and you can tell the difference between a probationary that's did four, eight, twelve years in, in the military, okay, and just got, uh, just became a probationary officer. There's there's a big gap, mm. in, in I think a lot of it in maturity, in in confidence, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, it's just um, they can communicate more effectively with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pick up the job faster. It's just, a, but I mean, that's just, you know, because that military person's already been in that, you know, that workforce mentality, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, so they're, they're just, they just, they just have a, a, a step, uh, just ahead of the curve a little bit. So I was going to ask, um, so, you know, like we've seen, obviously I would assume everybody who's listening also, but we've seen like videos of like people getting shot by police or like I was talking about excessive force used. Can you tell, if you were to watch those videos, can you tell like, oh, that cop was under-trained? Like watching the video, you could tell based on the cop's reactions, based on their body cam. Can you tell if a cop is like, oh, that cop wasn't ready for that situation or that cop handled it correctly? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you can tell if the cop handled it incorrectly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You you can. You know, and that's the way I, I, when I see these videos, that's usually the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. But people, other people look at it like, you know, this guy is just out to kill people. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at it like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like uh, they don't look at it from the point for like, like a training aspect, you know, like this guy wasn't properly trained either by his self-initiative or his apart, or the department. Um, he didn't run any drills, any tactics, nothing like that. So, I mean, that's the way I look at it. But most people see like, hey, this guy's just... He's trigger happy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. he's just out to kill people or, or he didn't like black people and that's why he killed that black. So th- there was a shooting in um, a few months ago. Uh, I want to say it was up North Texas. Okay. And um, so this officer's going to, uh, and he's only been on two years. I think about two years. He's responding to a, a welfare check. So a neighbor called and says, hey, uh, my neighbor across the street. Her lights are on, the front door's open, but there ain't nothing going on over there. And it was it was three in the morning. Whoa. So two or three in the morning. So the officer gets there, you know, and he parks, you know, a couple houses down from the front door. 
And so he's walking up. And you see him walk up. And the front door is open, but it's a screen door that's closed. Okay. So it's a, it's a glass screen door. Okay. The light's on. You can, you can tell he looks in there. He doesn't see anybody. But the front door's open. The main door's open. And so, remember, keep in mind, this is a welfare check. You're just making... It's not a burglary. Oh, just it's a, a welfare... Well- yeah, welfare I was check. Think, when you said no. that, I was thinking, like, did somebody's welfare check balance or something no, no, like that? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, no. they got the cops calling them so for that. So, a welfare check is like, okay. hey, I haven't, I haven't heard from, you know, my grandfather's... 82 and okay, I called okay. his phone and he's not answering. Can you, cause we go over there. Can you send the police over there to go make sure he's okay? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, my, my daughter called me and she's at her boyfriend's house and they had an argument. Can you go check on her and make sure she's okay? So JR's that, got a hurt toe. He's yeah, been yeah. crying yeah, for but, the past three days. Yeah. <laughs> JR's, been, JR's been limping around and crying at the box. Can, uh-huh. it, can anybody go to his house and check on him? And then I'm upstairs playing uh, Modern Warfare in my fucking underwear, eating Cheetos. Classic. Wondering what I do in my life. All right, so what happened? So, so, happened? Uh, so that's what the welfare check is. So okay. he wasn't responding to a burglary or a suspicious person call or anything like that. So then he starts to go to the back house, the backyard. And uh, he gets his flashlight out. And he, he, he uh, puts a flashlight on the window. And the blinds are open. And he sees a lady in the house... And she's got a gun. And he says, he says, put the gun down. Boom. And shoots. It was just like that. Uh-huh. Put the gun down. You saw the body cam? Yeah. Okay. So he shot from outside, shot through the window, and hit her. and kills her. Okay. Of course, she's a black lady, so, and this is a white officer, so everything gets uh, 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 scrutinized. Mm-hmm. So then, come to find out, the lady... That was her house. Mm-hmm. She was watching her nephew. Mm-hmm. She was babysitting watching her nephew. They'd been up playing uh, video games. You know, they were up at late playing video games. Well, she had a gun because, you know, we're allowed to have guns, protecting herself. She grabbed the gun because she heard a noise in the backyard. Wow, and that's him. So she goes by the window to go look. Wow. And so what happens is that when at night, when an officer shines his flashlight... We usually have really, really bright flashlights. Yes. So you sign the flashlight. All you see is a big beam. And you don't know who's behind the light. You can't see us behind the light. Uh-huh. So it could have been anybody for her. Yeah. For her, she thought it was a, a, somebody trying to break Burn into her house. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so, and then he fucking shoots and kills her. Absolutely. That officer had no idea what the fuck he was doing. Yeah. And now he took somebody's life because he's not properly trained. Wow. And he, he, didn't, he didn't handle it right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I'm an asshole to, uh, 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 to be rough on my own, but, you know, we're held to a higher standard. A standard, yeah. There's a reason sure. why we're held to a higher standard. Absolutely. Because of the responsibility that, that we have to the, to the community, to everybody. Because mm-hmm. um, we don't just represent ourselves. We represent the department, past and future officers. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, he... he, he, he he, he killed a lady that didn't need to be killed. Wow. That's, did he it, get released? Oh, yeah. yeah. He got so fired. he got... Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think he's... Um, I think he might be getting indicted for manslaughter. Wow. Well, I mean, if he deserved it, he deserved yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was his thing. You know, there's so many other ways that could have been handled. Yeah. So many other ways. It's a welfare check. Knock on the front door. Stand to the side. Mm-hmm. Hello, is anybody in there? Police. Mm-hmm. Police, anybody Instead, in there? he decided to snoop around. Yeah. Right? And then, yeah. Let's say it was a burglar. And you go and say that, 
the birds can do one or two things. He's the birds are either gonna fucking hide in the house or they're gonna take off running out the back. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you know what you got and go with that. Yeah. But you know, you go snooping around a house and you're not identifying yourself. You know, even if you know if you went in the backyard, he even could have said, "Hey, police, police." Uh-huh. You know, start announcing yourself because you know at three in the morning, your voice travels even more. It's not that loud outside, so the lady probably could have heard that. You know. Um, you, you shine the flashlight and you see the gun through the window, just move to the goddamn, out of the side yeah, of the window, uh-huh. to the side of the house. I'm like, then you're out of that danger. I'm like, but to sit That's there and crazy. say, put the gun down and then shoot immediately after that. And it's just, it's, it's, it's poor training. Does it upset you when you see things like that? Yeah, it, it sucks. Um, Cause I know you put the work in, you train, you stay prepared, you know? And to see other officers not do that, I'm it's, it, it, it's tough because you know you you first of all you know somebody's life is gone. Yeah, that's that's the worst thing. Yeah, you know I couldn't live with myself if if, if I if I killed somebody uh, uh, by one of my mistakes, one of my failures. I I don't know what I would do. Yeah. So that that's where that's where it bothers me the most. And then secondly, it's like you know because of his mistake, you know we just it taught it. it Everything good that we've been doing, it just, it overshadows all that. Yeah. Because they only see this particular incident and it gets publicized. And um, it's just, that's just the way it goes. And now it's the nature of the beast. And it's it's hard to, uh, 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 it's hard to combat that when, you know, majority of the officers, I want to say we're 95, 98% of the officers are doing the right thing. Yeah. But you have that select few that fuck up and it just... And they fuck up royally. Yeah. And it gets publicized. and It's crazy to see, like, you know, people on social media. I, I know social media is like echo chambers and people and people just upset at the world. They're upset at everything. But people who say, like, you know, fuck the cops. You know, all cops are bad. Not realizing that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of interactions every single day. Yes. With cops and civilians. And, I, and when one thing happens, fuck the cops. Fuck yeah. them all. And I, I was listening to something earlier in that, um, and, and it, it made complete sense, you know, hearing it from, uh, 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 I saw it on, on social media, but hearing it from, it, it was a black guy, and the way he was explaining it, he's like, you got to think about it like this, you know, let's say you live in a particular community on a street, well, you live in that street, and the way it works with us, like, we have districts, mm-hmm. okay, uh, 2320 is a district that I, I, I work in sometimes, and it's got the uh, the Lincoln Courts. It's like, um, we call it the courts. The courts is like the projects. Okay. It's all that government housing. So, and usually the way the districts work is that there's an officer that's, he's a district officer. So every time he comes in, he's working the same district. Okay. That's his square. Any calls that are made in there, he's going to go. Uh, if he's a good officer and he's assigned somewhere else, he'll finish that call and go ahead over to the call in his square. So, so what happens is that, you know, we get these, let's say we get this shithead that's always causing trouble with the police. Well, let's say the officer that's assigned to that district, he just happens to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Well, these people come into contact with him every day. Mm-hmm. And so now they get that perception like, man, all cops are assholes. But the thing is that you're dealing with the same officer uh-huh. every day because that same officer is the only one going in that district that's working that's going to go to that call. I see. So you get the perception like, man, all these guys are fucking assholes because this guy's always a dick to me. He's always searching my car, searching me, pulling me over, giving me tickets. Yeah. But, you know, that's an officer that works that area. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he's here on a daily basis and, you know, 
and there's actually different and more officers out there. Mm-hmm. But you come in contact with the same one every day, and it just gets ingrained in them that, you know, this guy's terrible. And it's a battle between yeah. y'all. Yeah. Have you, when it comes to adrenaline rushes, have you... This is more of like a deeper question. Have you ever had an adrenaline rush in the... Uh, like in the line of duty of being a cop match that of the adrenaline rushes you got in war or are they just different I'm assuming you got more adrenaline dumps in war but have you ever had anything where it was just as scary while um, you were wor- working on the line of duty <clears throat> uh, I've been involved in one shooting on duty uh-huh. it was about yeah it was it was the same thing too um uh there's um that was the same you know i've been been getting into combat like but the adrenaline rush it's still there it's just like uh um the fear of the danger of getting killed or not that's what usually is like more or less mm. if that makes sense yeah like knowing that you know i know there's fucking terrorists in this house and we got to go in there and fucking go kill them yeah like i know that like the adrenaline rush is there, and I know the danger is like. Mm. Versus the adrenaline rush of me being in a car chase, chasing some guy through the city, like that's it. Like I'm, I'm not in fear of getting, getting yeah, get, shot. Get shot. Or... No, I'm like, yeah, let's get this man. Uh, so you okay. know, I'm running. So the, the adrenaline is there, but it's the danger aspect is what is what changes. Yeah, <laughs> is what changes. But uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I had a shooting uh, 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 a few years back. It was a uh, a family violence case. Uh-huh. Guy guy and a girlfriend. Well, let, let me let me back up. So, the worst case I ever went, the worst call I ever went to was um, we were working night shift, and uh, uh, it was like three in the morning, two in the morning, and we get a call. We we, we sat down to go. We sat down to eat at Taco Cabana, and we get a call. And it, at night shift, you know, we always just stick together because. Um, you know, three, four in the morning, we're the only ones out. Mm-hmm. Very few people are out. So it was very common for like two to five officers to be sitting at a restaurant eating. So we're eating at Taco Cabana and we get a call. It says that um, um, this lady just, um, this lady's walking around in her living room with her baby and the head's chopped off. What? So we're like, so we deal with psych people a lot. We get we get calls for, for people who are mentally mentally ill a lot. Okay. And they'll say things like that. Okay. You know, they'll sell people and they're addict or people are coming down from their from their AC vents. What? Somebody's coming out of the refrigerator. Like they'll say that and then we have to we we go over there and says, Oh, there's there's people coming out of my yard in the backyard coming into my house. So that that's that's common to hear. Oh man, that's kinda of creepy, no? Yeah. Hey, I mean like, you're never creeped out by yeah, that? No, I'm not creeped out. It's just, I guess, it's, I, well, maybe at first when I started hearing it. Mm, but, then you just got used to it. This is just crazy person. Yeah, now it's just funny. Like, uh, you know, when okay. I would hear, when we hear it now, it's just funny. And then, you know, we'll make fun of the officers. Like, <laughs> like if there's an officer that, like, like you know, that maybe if it, the complainant's name will be on the, on the key card. Uh-huh. The key card is where the details of the call comes up. If the complainant's name's on there, and it's a name similar to somebody that we work with, uh-huh. and we're like, "Oh, that's uh, that's Marco. That's he's calling in. You know, he's fucking crazy." And so we try, we we just mess around with that. So, okay. but, so we get that call for the, for the lady walking around uh, her house with the with the baby's head cut off. So 
And we didn't believe it. We're like, ah, I guess it's another psych patient. So we go over there, and uh, sure enough, man, we, 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 I was the second officer in the house, and we go in, and uh, I go in the living room, and I see a lady. She's sitting on a couch, and she's full of blood. And you can just tell that she's she, she's crazy. And uh, so the grand, she lived there with her, with her mom. Uh, the grandma comes out, and she's like, she's like, the baby's in the other room. And so um, uh, we go in, I, I go in there and I open the door and there's a, uh, uh, like a two, three week old baby. Uh, he's, he, he's laying there and uh, with his back towards me on the bed and his head's cut off, completely cut off. So the, the baby here, the head's right next to it. And then the skin from the head of the baby is all removed and laying next to the baby as well. Oh my God. Um, his little fingers and toes were all cut off. And uh, he was all gutted out. And um, the baby was like only two weeks old. What? And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was the roughest thing I've ever seen. Um, so we immediately... Um, uh, we handcuffed the mom. And um, we just started talking to everybody in the house. Um, but it was, um, it, it was, it was tough to deal with cause, um, I had just, we just had Micah wow. and he was, Micah was only like, uh, maybe he was eight months old, nine months old. So I just had a kid of my own and, and I, you know, and that was like a different, like when you have kids, it's a different love. It's crazy. It's like, you'd never think that how much you can love somebody yeah. until you have kids. Yeah. And so, uh, so when I, when I saw that baby, it was just, man, it, it, it is, uh, the absolute, and you know, I seen a lot of blood and, you know, dead people and stuff like that before that, but that baby, uh, that baby chopped up was, was, was the worst thing I've ever seen. And, oh. you know, it, it, every, it took every fiber of me not wanting to fucking pull my gun out and shoot that lady, mm. but she was crazy, very yeah. crazy. So the backstory to that was that she was just in the hospital for for having these uh, 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 images and voices in her head. She was schizophrenic, and she was hearing voices that you know her baby's the demon baby, and oh my, and God. she's supposed to kill it. So she was just in the hospital for that. So they released her. And so she goes back home uh, to her parents' house, and earlier in the night she was having earlier in the day she was having the same images. Hearing the same voices, having the same images in in her head, and so the mom, the grandmother, takes the baby. Okay, go in the room. You need to take your medication, and, and you know, and you know, try not to think about it. I'll take baby. I think the baby was named Joseph. I'll take the baby, and then you know, uh, whenever you're fine, that you can come back out and, and get your kid. Well, the grandmother should have called us immediately so we can take her back to the hospital. Mm. She didn't. So she comes back a few hours later. Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. Can you give me the baby? So she gives her the baby, and that's when um, she killed him. Whoa, that's nuts. Yeah. How long were you in for when you saw this? Like three years. Whoa. Yeah. That's the craziest thing you've seen. Yeah, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Wow, that's fucking crazy. Worst thing. I can't imagine. And to, is... this, to this day, like I can't, I can't go to cause with little kids injured because <clears throat> mm. it just. Uh, if I get the report responsibility, where I have to write the report, 
I'll have another officer go in and go look at the scene or get the information I need. I said, get the information and just come back out and give it to me and I'll write it up. But, um, it's just, uh, uh, it sucked, man. It was the worst thing ever. That's what's crazy is, you know, I, I know you on a friend level and I haven't had these conversations with you as often as I'd like to, but I get an idea of like what you've seen and what you've been through. You know, it's like, the assumption of a cop is like protect and serve, but not realizing that these cops see these crazy things that nobody should have to see. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you guys have to deal with that and continue to work mm -hmm. while you have seen what you've seen. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we handle that. And then, you know, the next day, you know, we're handling accidents or, you know, you know, helping people, you know, cross the street or, you know, I, you know helping people, you know. Uh, you know, find where they live, you know, it just, it's just, it's such an array of, of, of different calls, different spectrum of calls. Um, but the, so then that, that leads me to my shooting then. I was, oh, okay. Yes, yes, so yes. I have, so I have a, uh, uh, a huge, I guess, sensitivity to children. Okay. So I get the call for the shoot, for, for the family violence in this couple. Um, they, um, we're going to have to pause because. We might have to. Hold on. Okay. I'm going to pause it real quick, y'all, and then we'll get back to this. All right, sorry for that little delay, but we're back. Um, so you were mentioning how you got a call about a man and a woman. Yeah, so uh, that that baby story I just relates to, um, so I, I have a sensitive spot for children. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get a, I get a call for uh, a couple uh, having a, a fight. Um, so I get there, and I'm talking to the lady um, out front, and she says, yeah, her, her and her boyfriend... Uh, they've been boyfriend girlfriend for about four years. They have two kids, uh, four and three, and, um, and that she's leaving him. Mm -hmm. And so he got mad, and they got in a little fight. He ended up uh, smacking her in the face, and uh, which over there on the on the three side where I work at, you know, that's pretty common. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, we, you know, usually we just that's just written up as a disturbance. Okay. We don't write an offense report uh, because it's it happens a lot. It happens so mm -hmm. much. So um, in other parts of the town, like up on the north side, you know, you smack a girl in the face, you know, the officer's going to show up, you're going to go to jail. Uh -huh. But over there, you know, on the west side where we work, um, it's, it's very uh, common for the women to get smacked mm -hmm. and nothing really gets done. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, they don't even want nothing done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Um, She's telling me, yeah, they got in an argument and he smacked her in that he's inside and he wants to tell his side of the story. Okay. And so I'm like, okay. Um, so before I go in the house, again and then, it's just like I get that feeling again. Mm, that I'm gut like, feeling. Yeah, I'm like, man, even though – is it going? Yeah, it's going. Yeah, it says even though, <clears throat> you know, family violences are always very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of emotions involved, and you just don't know which way people are gonna go, you know. Um, and I, I want to say a lot of the shootings generate from from that because of the high stakes involved. You know, you you dealing with these people who have a lot of uh, time and investment in their relationships, mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on within that relationship, whether it be financial. You know, cheating, uh, uh, jobs, not job, do have a job, or you know, 
losing a house, you know, things like that. Um, so there's a lot of emotions involved. So family violence is always dangerous to go to. Um, so before I go in the house, just something didn't feel right. So I take my gun out and uh, and I'm going through the house. And I'm looking for the dude, calling his name and nothing. There's nobody in there. So I come back out and I'm like, okay, he's not in there. Well, I thought he was in there. Well, um, I guess uh, I guess I don't need you. I'm like, so what did you call us for then if, if you don't need me? Well, I just wanted you to scare him. I'm like, I says, ma'am, I says, that's not what we're here for. Uh-huh. You don't call us because you want me to come scare your boyfriend. Uh-huh. Because you call him, now he thinks that, you know, he's going to go to jail or we're going to come beat him up and things like that. I was like, I said, it, it paints the wrong image. Yeah. I says, that's not what we're here for. We're not here to just to scare people. Yeah. We're here to help people who generally need the help. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so then I start to ask about the kids. I was like, okay, well, where are the kids at? Because they were just involved in a fight. And he's upset that she's going to take the kids. So I don't know what his mentality is towards the kids. Mm-hmm. And so she starts to give me the runaround when I ask about the kids. Oh, they're at my aunt's house. No, they're at my mother's house. And so she's hiding them from some reason. I don't know mm. why. She don't want to tell me where they're at. So now it gets me real nervous. I don't like that. And so now my main concern is I need to find out where these kids are at yeah. and make sure they're okay. And so as I'm talking to her and looking around the house... I look down the driveway, you know, the back of the driveway, the, the backyard's back there, and I can see, like, there's, like, a little efficiency house. It looks like a shed that was made into a house. Mm-hmm. And I said, who stays back there? And she's like, well, this is my boyfriend's house. His mom and dad live in the main house, and we live in the back. I'm like, that probably would have been important to tell me. Uh-huh. And I was like, who's in there right now? Nobody. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go check because I need to see if these kids are over there and apparently you don't even know where your kids are at. Uh-huh. So I go to the door and the door, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have a doorknob. It has two deadbolt locks. Okay. That's so, it. So yeah, that's it. Now you unlock the deadbolt and push the door in, open. So I says, where's the key for these? She's like, I got him right here. So I get to unlock the bottom one. Well, there's not a key for the top one. I was like, well, the door's still locked. I said, where's the key for the top lock? Well, we don't have a key for that. I says, well, then there's only (laughs) one way that it's locked. It's from the inside. Yes. And so I was like, well, who's who's in there that locked the door? Well, I don't know. I says, I says, you need to be honest with me. I says, I don't care about your boyfriend. I said, the only thing I care about are these kids. Yeah. So if your kids are in there with your boyfriend, I need to know and I need to go in there and make sure the kids are okay. Because of what you and your boyfriend just went through and the details of what's going on. So she's like, okay, he's in there. I'm like, I'm like, all right. I said, are there any guns in the house? No, there's not any guns. I was like, I said, well, I'm going to kick this door in because I need to make sure these kids are okay. And nobody's answering the door because I was knocking on it. So uh, I already knew, like I said, I, I knew something was going to go down. Mm-hmm. So I kicked the door in, boom. And I had my partner with me. And I'm standing outside the door frame, and I had my gun out, and it was maybe about, it was weird, it was a little small efficiency, so it was probably only about maybe eight feet in, mm-hmm. and then it was like an L-shaped house. So okay. it, was a, it went little hallway, eight feet in, and then it cut to the right into the room, 
to yeah. the main room. So I had my gun out. I couldn't have been any more ready than what I was ready. And I see him pop out, but he only does like a little turkey peek. He sticks his, he sticks half of his head out. At the end of the hallway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in the, he's in the room and he's looking down yeah. the hallway at me and I'm looking at him by the door. And I says, Hey man, let me see your hands. I says, I don't care about you. I want to see the kids. I want to make sure the kids are okay and I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. And I try to stress that to him, but he just, it, it wasn't comprehending to him. He, for some reason, he thought he was going to jail. Or he did. He, he thought he fucking uh, uh, murdered fucking John F. Kennedy and we were going to get him. So I'm like, let me just see the kids and I'm out of here. He says, get the fuck out of here. I didn't call the police, motherfucker. You're not going to take my kids and all this. I was like, I said, I'm not trying to take your kids. I want to make sure they're okay and I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Well, he goes back in the room. And so I still have my gun out. I was like, hey, man, let me see your kids. Let me see your kids. I need you to come out. And then he comes out again. But this time he just, like I said, he just sticks. Is it, he sticks half his head out. Uh-huh. And the gun. You see it. And it, Yeah, and then he just starts shooting at me. Oh, my God. And like I said, when I talk about that action always beats reaction, like I'm telling you, but I couldn't have been any more ready. I had my gun pointing at him. The last place I saw him, I had it pointing straight dead at it. And he came out and he shot two rounds before everything registered in my head Whoa. to shoot my, my rounds. So he got two rounds off before I started to shoot. He missed. I missed. Um, and so um, he went back in the room. Um, and then he did another turkey peek out. Uh, my gun actually jammed. So Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, I, I shot two rounds. It jammed. So I slid off to the side. I reloaded. Put a new mag in, reloaded. My partner took my spot, and the dude poked out again, and my partner took a shot, and he missed him as well. Um, and so he went back in the room, and then like, that's where that, that, like that dog mentality. I wanted to go get that motherfucker. Mm. Like I, I was already, I was telling my partner Mo, I was like Mo, I says go around the corner, go around out, go break the window, just bust the window out. You bust the window. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make entry and I'm gonna take this motherfucker out. Mm -hmm. But then I thought for a second I was like, no. I said, there's kids in there. Yeah. I said, there's no way I'm gonna go in that house and shoot them in front of the yeah. kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then even then, it just you know, if I miss mm -hmm. and I hit a kid, I'm like, nah, that ain't happening. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, I had that marine mentality, like I'm gonna get this motherfucker. But I had to I had a I had to stay disciplined. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Be be smart. Hey, idiots. Yeah. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. So we sat back, and that's when we called for for SWAT mm. hostage negotiators. Everybody comes out, um, and so um, it was probably about a six hour standoff. Whoa! The dude finally he released both the kids, and then he finally comes out, but he's got the gun in his front waistband, and he's not listening to any of the commands from the SWAT guys. And so they end up shooting them with the with the plastic rounds, the non-lethal rounds. Uh -huh. uh, they shoot them in the stomach, and like it tears tears something inside his stomach. Oh! And then they shoot him in the elbow, and it fucking like shattered his elbow. <laughs> so he deserved it. He got fucked up, and uh, uh, so everything worked out good. Luckily, that you know he's a non-shooting fuck, and so was I. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked out. Nobody died. Yeah, and nobody yeah. got hit. Uh, uh, with any real bullets, but uh, it's just you know, it's great how something so small and like it wasn't even a big deal. Yeah, it was just gonna mm -hmm. be a disturbance. Mm -hmm. 
and turned into that. Turned in, into that, and that's how quick, you know, something like that can escalate. But that's the thing, you know. Most officers probably they would have left right after that. They would have left right after she said like, "Oh, I guess he's not here." I said, "Okay, well then I'm uh, out of here." Yeah. But you know, like I, I have a, I have a sensitive spot for children, and I just wanted to make sure these kids were okay. Yeah. That was my only concern. Yeah. And it just ended up uh, going to shit. That's crazy. You know, you talk about that gut feeling. Have you ever heard that they say the reason you're supposed to trust your gut and they say that there's a lot of accuracy to it is because I've heard something along the lines of there are more living organisms in our gut than there are in our brain. And so when your gut is telling you something, a lot of times it's true because they say like your gut is your second mind. Wow. I didn't know that, yeah. If you look up, like, um, there are things about, like, the micro... You've heard of your microbiome? Mm -mm. Basically, that's your gut biome and, like, whether you have healthy gut biome. And it... it, Basically, the health of your gut biome, they say, largely controls your mental health. Wow. That's why they say, like, when you eat clean, you have more clarity, you Uh, know? Oh, yeah. If you're eating, like, dog shit, you feel like shit, you have mental cloudiness... You start eating real clean, you have better focus, you have all that. That makes sense. Because it's controlled by our gut biome. Super wow. interesting. Yeah, that so makes sense. there's a book called Blink, Think Without Thinking, and it's by, um, is it by Malcolm Gladwell? Think Without Thinking. I think Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. But essentially it's saying like, your gut, <clears throat> you have these gut feelings and that's because like your body's processing things before it gets to your conscious. So when you see something happening, your body starts to react before your mind tells you, hey, react. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if you see a situation, your body will automatically, let's say you need to draw your gun. It'll go to drawing your gun before your mind's like, oh, shit, I have to draw my gun. Ah. Uh, makes yeah, sense? Shit, yeah. Interesting Thank stuff. Um, but I was going to talk. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you about. So the whole drug problem and all that meth, you see all of that in downtown in the cities and all that? We just see the um, we just see the 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 end state, you know, the where where the where the drugs end up at, you know, what it ends up at, you know, a lot of these drug users, you know, they're they're homeless, mm-hmm. um, on the brink of poverty, mm-hmm. and it's just they're doing whatever they can to to scrounge up some money for their next high, and it's just a, a it's a it's a fucking huge epidemic. It's just. It's just like it's parasites. It just grows and grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger. And it's just like it's a never-ending battle. Have you ever heard to use Narcan, Narcan on it, somebody? No, we 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 have it. Uh, we they gave us now these uh, ones you you squirt up the nose. Uh huh. So we have it, but I I, I don't use it because um, I'm not. I know they said we're cleared medically if we use it, but you know what? I'm I'm not a fucking doctor or anything mm-hmm. like that. And, and, you know, I just don't want to. Even though we we're clear to use it, but I still don't want to put myself in that liability. And what is Narcan? Is when somebody's overdosing on what meth? Yeah, on meth. Yeah, right? yeah. You yeah. know how it works? Yeah, I don't know how it works exactly, but it, it I, somehow it, it, it. I heard about it. Uh-huh. So essentially, when somebody's on meth, <clears throat> they have the these um, the methamphetamine or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That chemical attaches to something. I don't know what it is. Something uh-huh. in your body. It attaches to it. And when you're overdosing, all of these are flooding the system and attaching onto all these receptors in your body. Uh-huh. So it's basically stopping your body from doing whatever you need to do. Yeah. And what the Narcan does is then you inject the Narcan and the Narcan uh, molecules and particles go to the, to the, um, 
the meth mm-hmm. and they attach to either the meth or they attach to the receptors mm-hmm. so that it blocks the meth from connecting to the receptors. Ah, okay. So the Narcan attaches to either of those mm-hmm. so that they're then not able to attach yeah. to... It's crazy. It, it, it's immediate. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah. Like, Dude, how? Like, I, tell me about it. It's like, crazy. There, there's a... We, we go to call with like... The, like the dude is like totally unresponsive on the side of the street, laying in the street, street and sidewalk, and just completely out of it. Uh-huh. And then uh, EMS dude show up. They hit him with the Narcan, and like within a minute, it's bad. They're, they're like, and then they're angry, awake. They're like, "Hey man, I'm fucking high. You fucked it up." Wow. They're pissed. Yeah. They always wake up pissed because you you ruin their high. And, you know, they probably worked all day panhandling or... Oh, or, just to get that high. Yeah, just to get that high. And now they're going to they're gonna have to go do it again. Wow. Yeah. That's what, you know, that's where half of the, like, majority of the EMS calls, that's where they're at. They're dealing with the damn drug addicts overdosing. Um, when, when that happens and they hit them with the Narcan, do they take them to jail or they just, they're just, okay, we got you out from your high and just No, that's leave. it, yeah. They yeah. just leave. Yeah. If they're, uh, they do some vitals on them and if, you know, if their vitals aren't good, then they're required to take them to the hospital. But a lot of times, you know, once you hit them with that Narcan, everything calms back down. All the <laughs> vitals are good and then we just leave them there. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Because what happens is that, you know, you know, when you get EMS guys, they get tied up with these, with these, uh, drug addicts, you know, when they have to take them, they're, they're going to be out of service for like at least two hours. Yeah. And so, you know, for a drug addict, yeah. a continuous drug addict, who doesn't want to change, doesn't uh-huh. want to do anything to make themselves better. So, you know, it takes them out of service and then there's somebody else that actually needs the EMS mm-hmm. for an emergency uh-huh. where they're not available. So, uh, but yeah, man, they, they always wake up pissed off that you ruined their high. That's crazy. Yeah. And so you So you've been in 13 years. What have you seen as far as the changes of like... The amount of homelessness, the amount of drugs, from what you remember from when you started. I know, obviously, you're there, you know, you're there multiple times a week, so you don't see the ch- change as drastic mm-hmm. because you see small incremental changes and it doesn't look like it's changing. Mm-hmm. But if you were to look back from when you started to now, like with the explosion of the increased population in San Antonio, including, um, you know, the rich and the poor, mm-hmm. how have you seen that dynamic change of like? How much homelessness is there? How much drug use there is? How so much crime? The um, as far as the homelessness, it's it's been progressively getting worse. Um, and a lot of the homeless over there, they're in the downtown area: Houston, mm-hmm. Frio, Commerce, um, Martin Street. Uh, so, uh, what happens is that so we, they built that Haven for Hope. So it's a big, it's a big. Uh, it's a, a a big facility that has stages of um so they're trying to get homeless people off the street mm-hmm. but it's a program where you got to go through tiers mm-hmm. you know you you come in you're on probation you got to you, you got to live in the courtyard so they have a covered patio they got fans um but you have to sleep on the floor they come and give you cots or mats you can you got to sleep outside and through good behavior then you can move into the dorms and the dorms will be like you know, a big squad bay full of like 30, 40 people. But, but you have, but you have uh, bunk beds. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you go do good there. Then you can move to, uh, 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 kind of more of like, like a, um, a smaller setting of that. Well, now you're only rooming with, you know, three or four people. 
uh, then you do good from there, then you can transition. They'll help you get an apartment. Mm -hmm. There's a big apartment complex across the street. They'll help you get into an apartment. Mm -hmm. And so they want you to be to be self-sufficient, take care of yourself, to get yourself off the streets. But it's a great program for people who use it. Mm. And there's a lot of good people who do use it. And they've done real, real good for themselves. But the problem we have is that we get the people that who who don't want to follow the rules. Mm. They want they have a drug addict, drug yeah. addiction. Yeah. Or they're out they're alcoholics because they they don't want you in there if you're drunk. And those are the people that we come in contact with all the time. And those are the ones that they're making it. It's like it's like for like police officers, you get a few bad officers that that give us a bad reputation, kind of screwed up for everybody else. And it's the same thing for them, you know. Mm. You know, you know, you know. Just because somebody's homeless doesn't mean they're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, you know, you can still be homeless and be a good person. Yeah, and trying to get your, get back on your feet and do the right thing, but those few that you know they refuse to 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 get themselves help and to follow rules, those are the ones that make everybody else look bad. But um, like I said, but it's increasing because ever since that Haven for Hope opened up, so it increased when when they had Hurricane Katrina. Okay. We had a bunch of them people relocate over here, mm. and so they lingered around and they stayed here. So we have a bunch then. And then, uh, um, then they had the floodings in Houston. Yeah. So we got people from there too, and then now we have the Haven for Hope. And so what's happening is that what we're finding out is that uh, other cities around the state they hear that we have that building. Sending homeless people over here. Yeah. Wow. So we've heard about departments like purchasing them bus tickets. Wow. To come over here, so now we're getting, we're even getting people from out of the state. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think there's too many uh, uh, facilities like that, like that 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 we have. Because they have everything there. Wow. They have they have uh, uh, they have the medical facility there. They have a dental facility. Uh, they help them get their driver's license. They help them get ID. They, they, I mean, they help them with everything. Everything is right there uh -huh. for them. Um, so yeah, they're sending they're sending their homeless to us. Wow, that's crazy. And so I mean, it's it's uh, so that is just it's just been flooding more and more and more and so what happens is that you know for every 10 decent homeless people we get you get probably about two or three that you know don't want to conform and follow the rules mm -hmm. and so they get stuck out in the streets and like i said all we're doing is you know they they find one area to congregate in and we get enough calls and complaints and they call the city and the city has us go over there and all we do we just push them across the street and then, push them down the block but that's all we can do yeah and it's just a revolving door, man. And it's just it, it sucks. Um, I like I I don't I don't know what else, what else can be done to combat that. The only thing I'm thinking of is that like, if we had a facility, like a, uh, like a, uh, like a college type atmosphere, like uh -huh. like a, like a like a like a university, you know, it dorms all these people. Hey, yeah. you got to stay on campus. Keep all your business here. And we'll give you, okay, you know, everybody's going to be allowed to get, you know, a six-pack a day. Ah. Okay? okay. Or in a pack of cigarettes. Or you get one pack of cigarettes every two weeks. Uh -huh. You get a six-pack, you know, every other day or whatever. You know, give them the incentive to, okay, but you have to stay here. You have to follow all rules. You got you can't be out in the streets doing that stuff. You got to be here doing it. Yeah. And that's the only thing I think, I don't know, maybe more of an incentive to make, to make the people that, choose to be on the streets and not follow the rules and make them stay in one confined area well shit but make it's, the, it, it's, it's hard man I don't know like I, I don't know how you combat that 
Make the universities pay for it. Shit, the universities make a ton of money, <laughs> right? Do. If they open up, if they open up a homeless camp, and that's what uh, UTSA, they have their downtown campus here, and they've been slowly buying properties around there. Uh huh. But you know they're doing it for, for their facility. Yeah, exactly. And, Help out the homeless know, people. Yeah, but and it's 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 crazy because you know where they used to hang out, where they where UTSA bought some property, you know they used to hang out right there. What they just pushed them. Now they they pushed them to thirty five in San Pedro, um, which is a little bit further up north mm-hmm. uh, from where they're usually at, and they said now the businesses over there are complaining. Ah, and it's just uh, you know, but UTSA is like, no, we we got them out of here, you know. They're not they're, they're not on anymore. our property anymore, so yeah. forget that. They got to deal with it, you know. But you know, you you get these mom and pop businesses, you know that you know they do enough to get by, but like then. Their business starts to struggle, but they don't have the money and the power and the backing like UTSA does. To get them out of there. Yeah. Uh-huh. To to build these f- big facilities and build these big fences. And, yeah, yeah. You know, to have some push with city council and say, hey, get these people out of, out of our property right now. Uh-huh. You know, they don't have that, that, that power. And so some of these smaller businesses struggle now. There's a, there's a, so near the Angel Stadium back mm-hmm. in where my mom lives mm-hmm. in Anaheim. There was a stretch like of literally half a mile on the riverbed with all homeless tents and camps. It's crazy. Like a half a mile, you just walk and you walk for a good 10 minutes just walking through homeless, you know, and it's on the riverbed. But what's so crazy to me is a few Thanksgivings ago, I went there and I was with some friends and uh, they had made a bunch of goodie bags with like toiletries, toothbrush, toothpaste. And we went to the riverbed and we gave it to the homeless people. Mm-hmm. And they had little shops in their homeless camp. Like they had a guy who fixed bikes. They had a guy with extra blankets and supplies. So it was literally like a self-sufficient town. Wow. It's pretty crazy. Damn. How yeah. sophisticated. Not sophisticated, but yeah. like these towns of homeless people. And even though it looks like just tents and garbage. Yeah. They're like, you know, they actually have little different sections. Now, I, we, 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 we've caught a few. We don't have... We don't have that issue down here as far as real large camps. But, you know, every now and then we get calls like, hey, I think there's a little homeless shelter in the alley. And usually it's around alleys where businesses have been abandoned for a long time. Mm -hmm. And there's really not much foot traffic or anything or, you know, housing around it. So I've gone to a few of them. You know, they they put the blue tarp up and, like, you know, they have the sheets down for walls. Yeah, yeah, And, like, I'm telling you, I go in there and it's like... They have shelving. They have a bed, comforter. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they got a little uh, power generator if they went when they want to turn on a fan or something. Like, or, it kind of doesn't look that bad, right? Yeah, like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like God damn, you got to pay taxes on this shit? For real, they got a nice little setup. God damn, shit. <laughs> I was like, I'll come out here. My wife will leave me the heartbeat. Win win, baby. So, okay. So, I was going to ask you earlier, um, and I think this would be good for just people to hear in general. You deal with, you know, um, crime in the city. And uh, I was talking to one of the cops um, after the, I w- witnessed the burglary. I was talking to the cops and they were telling me the guy was dressed in like a, uh, like a salesman outfit. Like he was uh, supposedly he had talked to the neighbors about termites. Mm-hmm. And then he looked, you know, he looked khaki, G- khaki pants on, uh, a blue sweater, a hat. And the guy was telling me that's common. What are other things to look for that you are aware of that um, burglars, you know, just just for the average person to, like, be aware of, you know, so that they know what to look for or if they ever see something suspicious? It's just uh, uh, the number one thing is, is 
to try, if, if you have a feeling that, that something's not right about this person, it's right. Yeah. That's going to be the number one thing. Mm. And a lot of times you're going to know. This happened during the day. This happened at yeah. 2.30 in the afternoon yeah. or like 2 o'clock. So, uh, um, I had that gut feeling. Yeah. That exact feeling you're talking about. I saw him. And like just the way he was driving up, when I saw him driving up and like looking around. Uh-huh. And then when he was walking, he went to the house with no cars. There was a, it was a house that he walked right past with three cars in the driveway. Oh, yeah. Walked right past it. Yeah. The next house had no cars. He went to the front door and tried to unlock or yeah. unlock their front gate. Yeah, a lot of these dudes, they don't want no confrontation. Yeah. They want the easy target. Usually when you have burglaries where there's confrontation is uh, typically, you know, where I work, um, it's somebody who owes somebody something. Mm. And they're going to go in there, whether it's people or not, and they're going to, you know. Rob it back or oh, yeah. take it back. Take back whatever mm. or take take whatever they lost, you know, in property value and stuff like that. Yeah. But what I say is like you know, uh, what's common is like that. That is common. We get common people dressed like CPS workers. CPS. What is yeah, CPS? City Public Service workers. Oh, okay, so okay. they'll have like just because a lot of CPS workers are like third party contractors. Okay. And so usually they just have like, you know, jeans and a t shirt, and usually they have like a, a fluorescent vest. Yeah. Oh, uh, they'll throw a hard hat on. Mm. Um. So they'll they'll come around and they'll act like you know like they're surveying shit. And then what they're actually doing is saying like, okay, there's nobody at this house at this time. Let me come back again in a couple of days. Oh, yeah, same date, same time. Nobody here again. Let me come. Oh. Okay. And so those guys, like, you know, they look like they're legit workers, but but they're not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you see them, you got the you got you got to get in their business and confront them. Like, hey, you got your credentials? Do you have your uh uh? Um, usually, uh, uh, saw. I mean, CPS gives out credentials that they're supposed to be working. They have some type of badge, yeah, uh, saying that they're that, that they've been contracted through CPS and SAWS, San Antonio Water System. Same thing. They they'll, dress yeah, it like that too. Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll do the same thing with that, and then you'll just get people like you know, just everyday people just knock on your door. Hey, uh, I'm looking for so and so. Like just plain stupid. Yeah, so and so used to live here, or so and so live here. My friend, I was looking for him. No, and so what they're actually doing is like they're seeing if anybody's there. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, and also sometimes they'll be in pairs. You know, so um, they'll be on bikes looking around. Okay, then they'll stop on the sidewalk, sit down, act like they're bullshit and talking to each other. Well, one's gonna be looking around while the other one's gonna go knock on the door or something, mm. or go look in the backyard. And so. Um, you know, they'll have like a signal of what they're going to say or a noise they'll make mm-hmm. if anything's suspicious. And so mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll break away. Whoa. So that, and then, uh, uh, well, those are the main ones. Okay. But that gut but, feeling. For oh yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Cause you like, you know, I've been to a lot of calls like that, like where like, you know, when you think when, you know, burglary, I go to burglary habitations and they were like, you know what? Man, this guy was walking around yesterday, and he just something about it didn't seem right. And I was like, "This is his, very well could have been that dude." Yeah. And you know, you know, I tell him, I say, next time, just call us. You know, call us, and you can be anonymous. Say, hey, there's this dude dressed like such and such. He's walking this way, and what that does is that you know that lets them know that people are watching them. Yep. People in the neighborhood are watching out, and so we go and get in their business, see what they're up to, and then go from there. But you know, you know, a lot of people. Um, it sucks that a lot of people just ignore that. Mm-hmm. You know, we got that same instinct that like animals do. You know, animals have it too. Yeah. Uh, and just a lot of people just ignore it. That know, bi- they, they try to, you know, 
they try to take, they try to, um, what is it? You try to take people for like being good. Yes, yes. And, and they just, you know, it, it, it makes them vulnerable. Yeah. And that's what sucks, but, you know. That's one thing too, like, um, you're saying try to take people for good. Like when I was talking to one, the, the cop who was asking me questions after I watched the burglar, uh, she was like, what was he wearing? What uh, nationality did he look? Or mm-hmm. I was like, well, white male. He was had a, a salesman jacket on, but he just looked sketchy. And then she was like, okay, but you understand? And I was like, I know what you're going to say, that I shouldn't have just looked at him and assumed that he was sketchy because he looked sketchy. But I'm telling you, like, when I had that gut feeling, I it's like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I told her I shouldn't be judging the guy based on what he looks like. But if the guy looks sketchy, he looks sketchy. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. If, there's yeah. there's no if or anything yeah. about it. He uh-huh. looks sketchy, and I had a gut feeling, and I was right, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. And that's what – it's crazy. That's what – so if you if you turn it around and if you were to put a uniform on you uh-huh. and a gun and a badge, uh-huh. what are they going to – oh, you were profiling. Yep. Yep. Oh, you, oh, you're racist. Yep. You know, and, and it's, and, but that's what people see. I was like, no, it's just like, you know, through the job, through time, you know, we've been able to read people better. Yes. And then we, we, we know the feeling. We know, we usually know the signals, what to look for, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, when it's cool and you fucking go by, drive somebody and they're walking real fast and they're sweating. Mm-hmm. Why are you sweating? Yeah. What are you running from? You're running from something. You're either Randomly. High, you're either high or you just did something that you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, like I said, it's crazy. Like, like I said, you, you flip the roles, and then now you're racist, and you're violating people's civil rights. Yeah. And uh, you're profiling, mm-hmm. and, you know. So, and it's just, uh, but that's just the world we live in, you know. That's what we were talking about, like, the border, how, like, you know, there's certain people that they stop at the border if they see them suspicious. And you want to be, like, if you get stopped, like, Oh, what the hell? What are you stopping me for? Uh-huh. But would you rather have, ha, rather have, like you were saying, let the border patrol, let everybody go, and then all the drugs move through? Or occasionally you get stopped, you comply, then they let you go, but they're doing it for a reason, you know, to yeah, stop. Yeah, and, exactly. And they know what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, did you finish that book yet? Almost. I got a... Uh, Jesus Christ. What is it, like four months? What is this? It's been like six months. Hey, I've been busy. Jesus Christ, what have you taken from it? Extreme ownership. Tell tell people you're reading extreme. So I'm, I'm reading uh, extreme ownership from Jocko Winnet. He was a uh, um, and Lathe Babin. Yeah, he was a. Uh, uh, they were SEAL commanders, mm-hmm. um, and we actually fought in the same city. They just came a few months after us, so we crazy. Yeah, we were actually we were both we were uh, in Ramadi too, but we were in Ramadi in '05. September 05 to uh, October or November 05 and uh they came right after us. Uh-huh. And and it's every bit of what they said it was. I mean in in the book, but the, the, I I love that book cuz it's uh, um when they tell their stories of like I I can see it my like when I'm reading it I I I can see myself there because I know exactly what they're talking about. That's so crazy that you were there yeah. when these guys are talking about the missions they ran, and you could have been potentially somebody they protected or they oh, yeah. looked for. You oh, know, yeah, and, and they look after. And reading it, I was like, I was like, I didn't realize, like, because uh, Chris Kyle was also attached, was a part of Charlie Platoon over there with them, and um, I didn't realize, like, uh, you know, how many other people, how many fucking people they were killing before they even got to us. 
mm. because you know their main job was to protect us, the, the Marines and the soldiers yeah, yeah, there, yeah. and they did a lot of stuff that we never even fucking we we never we never even knew what was happening. Yeah, but you know that's what their whole unit is based on. So them dudes did a hell of a job, and uh, uh, but it's uh, so the book is um, it's uh, man it, it's great. I'm almost done with it. Maybe I got about another 40, 50 pages. But uh, it's basically about, you know, taking ownership of everything in your life. Everything. Um, whether it's, you know, even if it's something where, let's say I have my supervisor. Yep. And, you know, instead of something happening, that something happens to me where I don't, you know, I don't get my training or... You know, I didn't get a day off, whatever. Don't blame, don't look at, like, don't blame them uh-huh. for what happened. Yep. Take, what could you have done yep. to uh, to mitigate that, to make it better or to, to, to make your life better? Like, just every single thing you do is, can be controlled by you. Yep. And that it's easier, you know, to work with people, to build trust with people, to build relationships with people. The main thing is, like, I like is like building relationships with people, you know, um, giving people the confidence um, that um, make that relationship between you and you and that person stronger. Like the thing he did is like he said he has his teams. He yep. gets a, he gets a mission. He tells his guys, hey, I want you guys to come up with a plan to do this. And so those guys have pride like, yeah, we're going to do a mission. But you know what? Hey. The boss said we can come up with it, and we'll figure out how we're gonna attack this mission. Yeah. So those dudes, they have they have uh, uh, some uh, some skin in the game. They're like they're proud now. So they we got this mission. We drew it up. This is what it is. And jo- they would look at it. They're like, okay, yeah, I like that. That's good. We're gonna go with it this way right here. Let's 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 tweak this, tweak that. But other than that, oh, it's excellent. Love it, guys. Good work. And so so what it is that your subordinates, you know, they take that. They love it. They, that you're giving them the trust uh, uh, to do to to make them to uh, 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 make a mission. Uh, you're giving them the respect uh, to do it, and then that you you know um, um, you're giving them, uh, 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 I guess, the will and the passion, the want mm-hmm. to have to to feel like you know you're part of something. Yeah. And then you know it says why well, doing that. You know you're building leaders out of them too. Yep. Yep. They're, they're understanding that, hey, hey, this is what it takes to be a leader. It's not just sitting on the top of your throne barking out orders to people. Yeah. No. You, the lowest guy in the team, hey, he's got a voice. He's important. He matters. Let's listen to what he says, too. Yeah, and, and uh, something that was super good about that book that I uh, picked up on was when they were talking about if you're the leader of a team and um, somebody below you fails to do their job, that's not their fault. That's your fault. Yeah. That's your fault as a leader for not um, giving them the tools or, or communicating with them properly or getting them prepared enough mm-hmm. to do their job. So like I, a lot of um, I've seen, you know, in businesses, um, people like leaders or, or uh, directors, there are some who take the blame, but there are others who like to default the blame to people below them. But not realizing that the reason they the people below them failed is because they failed in their leadership of those people. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie that that is a hard characteristic tra- characteristic trait to do. Be able to like, take extreme ownership. Exactly. Of I like when, when I hear him talking about that, I was like, 
I mean that that's that's extremely hard. Like yeah. uh, uh, that everything ultimately is your responsibility. Yep. In in your fault. Yep. Uh, so it's uh, uh, reading that. It's just and, and hearing their stories. You know, uh, uh, their examples of it. It's just um, uh, man, I'm I'm trying hard to uh, to to live like that. Extreme ownership. And, uh, and um, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. It take it takes a strong person, yeah, to to do that. Like, hey, you know, this is my fault. I fucked up because of this. You know, it wasn't nobody else's fault, or you know, yeah. Man, I should. Man, I don't need to talk to that person like that. I need I need to talk to that person right. That's big. That's honestly in my life, and I haven't lived, you know, that long. But that's something that's one of the hardest things I have found to do is to be able to call myself out on my own bullshit. Yeah. Call myself out on where I'm wrong because. That hurts my ego, right? Like, call myself out. Oh, you were rude. You were an asshole. Well, that sucks to hear, you know? Like, when when someone tells you, hey, JR, you're an asshole, initially, you think, like, you want to get defensive and yeah. you want to you wanna try to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. But to be able to look at yourself and be like, wow, I was an asshole or wow, I didn't lead correctly or uh-huh. wow, I did make a mistake, that's yeah. definitely something that's it super is, hard to it, do. It, it, it is super hard, but... I think once you can, uh, once you do that, man, it just makes you all around better person. Oh big yeah, time, big, big time. time. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I love it. And I, I, there's another one I'm gonna read right after that. Um, What's it called? Uh, it's another one he wrote. I'm trying to remember. I can't. Uh, uh, no, it's not that he wrote. It's a, it's a, it's a book that he recommended. Um, I can't remember right now, but uh, is it by another it. seal? Uh, no, it's about a. It's a. Uh, I think it's written from a. Um, uh, a former general during the Vietnam War. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, so, um, yeah, Jocko recommended that one, so I, I got it through Amazon. But I'm, wait, uh, I'm waiting for this, and then I'll go. Right it's on. a bigger book, so it might take me ah, <laughs> a year and a half. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, podcast 400. <laughs> oh, all right, well, you finished. It <laughs> a year and a half to finish that one. And I looked at the writing, the write, the font small, too. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Plus, you read at like what a seventh grade level? Yeah, or? yeah they're, they're, uh, I was read, I was on the bike and reading uh, the uh-huh. other day at the yeah, gym. Yeah. Fucking Marcus is in there, and he's like, "Oh, I see you're reading, huh? But you got to work on reading to yourself that out loud thing. <laughs> that, that that doesn't work. Like, <laughs> that's the only way you're able to pronounce oh, that's it. That's it. Get everything right. reading out loud. It just helps me, uh, uh, I guess, uh, grasp the information. Yeah, better. yeah. I start reading to myself and I'm like, eh, and I'm thinking about, I don't know, I just start thinking about other shit. Like, That's the I just, worst. I just find myself just reading words. And then you go through a paragraph and you're like, yeah, gotta like, start the whole paragraph Yeah, I'm over. like, what did I just read? I yeah. don't even know what I read. And then, uh, yeah. So that's why I, I read out loud. And I guess part of it because I'm a Marine and we're, we're not that smart. Gotcha, gotcha. You know? All right, so I think that'll be it. Um, that book that we just talked about is called um, Extreme Ownership by mm-hmm. Jocko Willink and Laith Babbitt. Laith Babbitt? Yeah, yeah. Laith Babbitt. So um, that was J.R. Kuros. Thank you for everything, man. Thanks for your stories. And uh, thank you for giving me insight on, you know, what to look for, how to trust my gut. um, And just realizing that it's okay to be wrong and and the advice. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Until the next one. Hell yeah. All right, man. Thank you.